the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In September 1993, Jim Abbott took the mound at Yankee Stadium and threw one of the most dramatic no-hitter games in Major League Baseball history. That game was a high point in an unbelievable success story. Jim was born without a right hand, but that didn't stop him from fulfilling his dream of becoming an athlete. He was a two-sport standout in high school and a pitcher for the University of Michigan. Jim won the gold medal game at the 1988 Olympics and without spending a day in the minor leagues, joined the starting rotation for the California Angels. Jim is a motivational speaker and author of Imperfect and Improbable Life. Hey, Jim, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Joan. I appreciate you having me here. You know, Jim, I have to thank you. I have the opportunity to interview really amazing people, but your interview got me a high five from my two sons. So thanks for that, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well... That's a good start. We'll see if they agree after it's over. Oh, Jim, I live with baseball fanatics. There's nothing you can say that they won't agree with. <laughs> you know, and, and along those lines, uh, as I said, I have two boys that are baseball fans, and, you know, you guys are role models to them. And growing up, you wanted to be an athlete. You went on to be a professional athlete. You wanted to be a pitcher. You pitched a no-hitter. When you were achieving these goals— was it ever in the back of your mind that you were setting an example for others, maybe kids that were facing similar type challenges and that you were a role model for them? It wasn't until I got to the major leagues that I really started to understand the impact of, of um, you know, of, of being a major league pitcher and, and being in the spotlight and, and being different. I was born missing my right hand and, you know, I really spent the first part of my life, you know, Fighting back against that in, in, in quiet ways, uh, out on a baseball field and on you know in, in athletics and, and, and all the things that I was doing and um, so no I, at, at early in my life I was just doing what I love to do and trying to you know trying to find my sense of, of purpose and my identity and, and um, when I got to the major leagues uh, of course there's a lot of attention a lot of media of attention on 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 each player and and because I was different I received even more than than the normal attention. And, and um, I started to see the effect that that could have with with families and parents and kids that you know started coming to the ballparks in every city that we played in and and um, yeah it was a really interesting facet of my career and, and and very very motivating and very inspiring. Well, you know, Jim, going back to your childhood for a moment, why a baseball pitcher? I mean, someone might say, why not run track or something that maybe was less of a challenge to you. Do you think that was a mindful decision on your part? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I could have done a lot of things where I didn't <laughs> have to use my hands quite as much, but um, I loved it. I loved baseball, and there was no conscious decision about where it might lead. It was just doing what the other kids did, getting in the game, getting involved. All the other kids in my neighborhood played baseball, so I wanted to play too. Were your coaches receptive to you back then? Incredibly receptive. Uh, and I didn't really realize how lucky I was by, you know, I had so many coaches who 
who not only were receptive but encouraging. They, you know, when I came to a tryout, you know, I felt I felt the loneliness of of of, of expectations and, and wanting to prove myself. And and you know, so many times there was a coach there who was, um, you know, not only receptive to my playing, but they, you know, they pulled me into the game and said, "Listen, we'll figure out a way to get this done." And um, I, I was so fortunate in that. I, I I get cards and letters to this day from from parents, moms, and dads, and kids who, uh, you know, sadly don't have the same type of encouragement in their career, in their, you know, in their sporting world. And, and, and uh, you know, so I, I try to use the, the small forum that I have to encourage people to, to look at people for what the possibilities that they have instead of what they can't do. Now, Jim, you write in your book that you hid your disability in your right front pocket. When did you finally stop feeling the need to do that? I don't know, Joan. I, I, you know, I guess there are times in my life where I still do that. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a lifelong journey. It, it, there are times, um, and talk about this a little bit in the book, where, you know, being born missing my right hand, I don't even think about it. I, you know, I'll go weeks at a time where I don't even, you know, it, it's it's not something that is part of my daily life, and and yet. Um, you know, there's other there's other days where I may be in a new situation. You know, I may go to my uh, daughter's classrooms, or I may be at a place where you know there's, you know there's there is some awkwardness, and and um, and then it is part of my life again. So it it, it kind of stops and starts. I don't think that you you reach this point. At least I haven't re- reached this point where you you totally say, oh, I, you know, this is. Um, something I'm completely comfortable with, uh, you know, I think you always, it's always sort of there. Well, you know, and I think that's a wonderful point because so many of our listeners that are dealing with various types of challenges in their lives, they may think that you're healed and it goes away and you move on and, you know, look at Jim Abbott. He's this incredibly successful baseball player and, you know, he got past it. And as you're saying, you have moments where you push it aside, but it's always there. And I want our listeners to understand that it is a, you know, it's an everyday battle where you feel good some days, some, t- some days it comes back, but that doesn't mean you can't keep moving forward. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It comes and it goes. And, 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 and that's not, and, and I think you, you try to find peace with the times when, when it does sneak into your life, when, when, when those, um, you know, you get that awkward second glance. Uh, walking down a street, you, you, you know, there's some reminder of, of the fact that you're different. And and, and y- y- just being aware of those things, you're able to take some of the power away from it. When, I, when you're a kid, you're, you know, you're more susceptible to those types of influences. And, and as you get older, I, th- I think we build up a stronger filter and we're able to, to you know, if, if not completely move past, you know, those feelings, be, you know, Take control of them, be aware of them, and, 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 and use them to our advantage. Now, Jim, I get the opportunity to interview a lot of people who have really overcome some tremendous obstacles, and often they attribute a good portion of their success to their parents. And you've said that your parents saw your condition not as a disability, but as an extraordinary opportunity. So for parents that might be listening right now who are raising children with different types of obstacles. What should these parents be telling their children, and what impact does their example have on their child? Well, my parents were my heroes, um, and they serve as a, as a great inspiration to me now that I'm a parent myself. You know, I think the greatest gift that my parents gave me was the idea that my hand was something to be lived up to, and, and it was a responsibility almost. My dad used to say to me all the time, you know, Jim, what's taken away once is given back twice, and 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 I think he meant that that you need to focus on what you have instead of what's been taken away. And 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 I definitely remember the, a turning point in 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 my upbringing when that became the focus for my parents. You know that that yes, I was born missing a right hand, uh, but so much more was given to me. I had athleticism. You know, I I, I had other talents that would allow me to to live up to that you know it was something uh they treated me as though you know i i don't i hate i don't really like the word special mm-hmm. <laughs> but they made me feel special without treating me special if that makes any sense it makes perfect sense and i love his words taken away once is given back twice Th- those are 
really incredible words to remember because that's something that we definitely forget when we just focus on what we don't have or what's missing in our lives. Yeah, and, and that was something that, that, you know, was passed down to him from his, from his mom. My mom and dad are my heroes in a lot of ways, not just because of, you know, they, they raised me and my brother in, in a very instinctual way, and, and, and obviously with the challenges of, of, of me being born different, it, it brought a lot of anxiety and, and, and unknown to their lives. Um, but they themselves, I mean, they had me at a very early age. It was a struggle for them. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of sacrifice for them, giving up sort of, you know, some of the dreams that they had, you know, when they were younger, and and, and focusing on raising a family, and 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 so their their model serves me well. And I think about that now about about parenting and 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 sort of the selflessness that's involved. Your career got off to a slow start, and what would you say? were some of the adjustments that you needed to make to turn it around in the majors? It's an incredibly competitive environment at the major league level. I was, um, I was very young when I got there. I was just 21 years old, and, and uh, I had had a pretty, a pretty incredible amateur career in, in the fact that I was at the right place at the right time. In a lot of ways, I went to the University of Michigan and played there, and, and then I played in the Olympics in, in 1988, and, and, and we won a gold medal, and and then all of a sudden, I, I made a major league team. So I didn't have a lot of professional experience. And, and the the key was, um, you talk about attitude. You know, the key for me was to get up on a mound in a major league uh, stadium against major league players and feel as though I belonged. You know, I had a tendency to give the other guys so much credit. I would be looking at a Cal Ripken or a... Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. and and I would I would think about how good they were instead of remembering what it was that I brought to the table and and and, and remembering my strengths and um, so that was the adjustment that I had to make just just understanding what it was that that gave me the ability to be out there in the first place. Well, and you know, going on and pitching a no hitter with one of the greatest baseball teams, the New York Yankees. Can you describe what that day was like? Was that the greatest day of your career? It was a great moment, that's for sure. I, you know, I, it probably was the greatest day of my career, um, although it, it may not have been the best game I ever played, to be <laughs> honest. There's a certain amount of luck that's involved in a no-hitter, but um, I, I never really realized how much your life can change in, in just a couple of hours, and in, in, I guess in a good and a bad, bad way. Uh, on that day, it was in a great way. You know, I there was a lot of anxiousness and uncertainty that went into the beginning of that game. Um, I hadn't been pitching all that well leading up to it, and 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 we were right in the middle of a pennant race. Our team was the Yankees were really starting to come back into prominence. You know, after being down for a few years, so there was excitement and tension and anxiousness, and then. All of a sudden, this game starts, and they don't have any hits, and there's an excitement in the stadium that's building up with the fans and your teammates and the opponents, and it becomes this countdown of outs, and and, and you get down to that last out when you only have one more to get, and and the fans are standing up and literally jumping up and down, and, and you can feel it with every nerve in your body. You know, that next pitch might 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 make you, you know, you leave a mark for, for, for really – uh, your whole career, and, and and there it is—a ground ball, the shortstop. Randy Velarde fields it, throws it to Donnie Mattingly, and and you have a moment that that really changes your life. And and um, to me, that game is just symbolic of of yes, we all face tension and anxiety and nervousness, but amazing things can come out of that. And you just described probably looking back at that moment, but do you recall what you were thinking while you were on the mound? I remember hopefulness, and, and um, I, I remember it, literally the, the the physical feelings of, of, of feeling your heartbeat and, and feeling you know that that shakiness in your in your in your legs, you know <laughs> that, that just that excitement of the moment. And, and um, but I but I felt great. I, I felt you know confident and and I excited and. And a little bit of, of of letting go to to the baseball god, so to speak. You know, just the only thing I could really control was the pitch that I threw and the place that I threw it to. And, and after that, 
you know, things kind of have to go your way. And, and I remember a, with all of the excitement and tension involved, you know, a little bit of, of letting go and, and acceptance of, of what was to come next. Now, Jim, after an accomplish, accomplishment like that, you just mentioned when you began that you, you know, you felt like you didn't fit in with the baseball greats. You have to admit now, do you finally feel that you belong there? Well, I did feel like I belonged in the major leagues. I, I was given a lot of talent. I think it goes back to what my dad, you know, dad said more was given to me than was ever taken away. Um, and there were definitely moments when I felt like I belonged and I felt like I was one of the better players in the league. Um, and, and, and yet there's also moments when, when we're tough on, each, on ourselves. And, and that's a little bit of the exploration of the book is, is looking back on your life, looking back on a career and, and finding, you know, acceptance in the effort that you gave. And, and for a long time, I was very harsh. I judged my career in, in a very harsh way. And and, and now, you know, I, the book really actually kind of helped me to look back on the effort and look back on how far I came in my life. And, and you know, it's a long way from Flint, Michigan to Yankee Stadium. And, and, and um, you know, I've really come to be proud of, of the things that I did on a baseball field and and. and the great way that fans have, have um, you know, really embraced my career and, and, and taken me in. Have you ever thought that perhaps you experienced everything that you have in life to be given this very public platform and go out and change so many lives? I, I don't know that I believe that, but I, the thought has crossed my mind. <laughs> um, only because my dad believed that in some ways. And, and, and I, you know, I don't know that I share his faith in that, but um, I, I do think there is an interesting narrative in, in my career, and, and I played in some of the greatest places, you know, for, for really kind of uh, coincidental reasons. I, I played on the West Coast, and I played on the East Coast with the Yankees and, and teams that everybody had heard of and, and, and watched and knew of, and, and I had this great moment, and, and then I had this difficulty, and I had this struggle, and uh, in professional struggle in my career later on. And, and, and in some ways, those are experiences that I think a lot of people can relate to. And, and um, it's, I, I don't know that I love the, the, the word, you know, the, 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 the label of motivational speaker, um, but I, I do really, really enjoy the fact that the, the audiences that I get a chance to talk to get inspiration and motivation from these experiences that my career had. It doesn't take a lot for me to drum that up, to, to, to find uh, resonance and to find um, things that people can connect with. The book is Imperfect, An Improbable Life by Jim Abbott. If you'd like more information about Jim, you can visit his website, jimabbott.net. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, while on the site, Listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Jim, I really want to thank you for spending time with us today. I I really think that, personally, I don't believe in coincidences. I think that everything in your life brought you to this point, and I think you have a very public platform, and I'm so happy that you are using it to inspire people that are going through different challenges in their lives, and I'm so honored that you shared some time with us today, so thank you. Well, it was a real treat for me, and and I thank you, Joan, and and good luck with with passing on a positive message. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. 
Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NARUKA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUCA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP, the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800 850-5110. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. She's here today to discuss managing uncertainty. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. Allison, everything that comes into our lives, whether it be good or bad, comes from the unknown future. So why do most of us see uncertainty as bad or even stressful? Well, one of the reasons that we think that uncertainty is always bad is because when good things come into our lives, we forget that they were once uncertain. I speak to so many people about uncertainty, and they always have this view that when uncertainty happens, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life, things aren't working out, but they forget that there was a time before their husband or wife came into their life, their best friend came into their life, a new job or the getting into a great school, we forget because the good things that come into our lives, we get used to them. And then we expect them to be in our lives. And we forget that everything that comes into our lives was once unknown. But when something happens in our life that we don't like, it causes us so much discomfort. And sometimes that discomfort doesn't go away. And so that represents to us uncertainty. And so that's why we think that all the things we don't know will be bad. But the biggest problem is that when we live with this fear of uncertainty, we live in fear. And when we live in fear, we look at the unknown and we kind of turn our backs on all that's possible in our lives. Because we think that if we risk getting a new job, we risk starting a new business, we risk going out with someone new because it has the unknown in it, we think that it can't possibly work out. And then we lose our courage to move forward with our lives. We lose our courage to make better decisions, to expand everything that's important to us, all the things that we love to do. So the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to establish a stronger relationship with uncertainty and realize that, yes, uncertainty could bring difficult moments, but it also could bring beautiful moments and joys and successes. And if we could see uncertainty differently, we're more likely to take chances in our lives. You know, Allison, something that you just said, all the things we don't know we assume will be bad. And like you said, if we can learn how to make that shift and and to remember 
that a lot of the things that are wonderful were once unknown, then that would really help us to eliminate that fear that you talked about. In addition to that, what are some ways that we can learn to view uncertainty with less stress so that we can use it to our advantage? Well, because this is such a bad habit that many of us have, seeing uncertainty as bad, it is really great when you're feeling stressed and you're feeling worried to remind yourself of the joys that uncertainty brings. And and a lot of people that I work with, they actually get a journal and they write about all the blessings in their lives. Like I said, whether it be someone you met, whether it be a new business or something your child achieved, write about it and then remember a time when these things were not in your life. And then you could actually see, wow, I didn't know this was going to come into my life. And look, it was unexpected, but it was a blessing and it was something huge and something beautiful. And when we start to see this, we prove to ourselves that uncertainty, yes, it could have bad things that we don't like, but it also could have good things too. And when you start to live like this and you start to journal, of course, you also start to embrace more gratitude. And the more grateful you are in your life, the more joy you'll have in your life, the more openings that you'll have in your life. There's also another thing too, is that it's not just that uncertainty brings good things too. Our relationship with uncertainty also shifts when we also recognize that we've had suffering in our lives and we've survived it. We've survived the pain. For some reason, when we think about the unknown, we think about it like we're not going to be able to live through something if it happens that we don't like or that creates something we didn't expect. We can get through it. And so when we journal and we see that we've had good things come into our lives and when we remember the things that we've survived, we start to build more foundation to face the unknown and recognize that the best thing in our lives we could do is to forge ahead, create good intentions, pursue our dreams, and know no matter what, we will figure it out. And again, I know I always talk about this idea of maybe, but when things happen that we don't like, we do have this idea of maybe that maybe what's ever happening will get better Maybe we can accept it and still be okay. And maybe there's something very important for us to feel or experience in this moment. So no matter whatever is happening in life, if you have breath, you have hope, and you have maybe. And uncertainty is where all the goodies lie, and it's where your life's going to change, and it's where all the things you want in your life is going to happen. But you have to find a way to deal with uncertainty and lessen the fear so you can open up to everything that you truly want in your life. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners would like to learn more about Allison or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit her website, alisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a French child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed. Then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with a circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, 
perfect in our design, but not always a fit. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Alexis Jones, believes that we all have the capacity to live fearlessly and inspire those around us to dream big. Leveraging her entertainment background as a vehicle to empower youth, Alexis launched I Am That Girl and quickly became an internationally recognized speaker, media personality, activist, and author. Alexis also founded the company Protect Her, which is an educational program for high school and college male athletes on the importance of respecting women. She is a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, and she was featured as one of AOL's makers, along with Oprah, Ellen, Hillary Clinton, and Sheryl Sandberg. She is the author of the book, I Am That Girl, How to Speak Your Truth, Discover Your Purpose, and Be That Girl. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. My goodness. What a bio. <laughs> so, well, you know, Alexis, you describe yourself as an all-American Southern Belle Texas tomboy who grew up in Austin with four brothers. How did you go from being that girl to the one that I just described? <laughs> um, I think growing up with four of the brothers, I always say that, you know, when you're raised raised with wolves, you have these wolf-like tendencies. <laughs> and, and so for me, I think that we were a very competitive family. Mm-hmm. And part of being the little sister um, was, you know, I was always trying to, you know, climb things that I had no business climbing, jumping off things I had no business jumping off of, trying to impress my big brother. So I think that even now when they show up to my events, it's always like I, I'm climbing higher in order to impress them. Alexis, your messaging for girls and women is spot on. Today's expectations of beauty leaves many of us feeling less than and worthless. What do you believe are the pitfalls of relying on outside appearance as a measurement of self-worth? Oh, I mean, where do we begin? You know, I think we have to also understand what we're up against. I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that, you know, and specifically, you know, for millennials, they consume 10 hours of media a day. Right. They and on in general, we consume 3000 brand images collectively a day. And so Mm -hmm. when we start looking at just the volume of images that we're consuming, that, of course, are airbrushed. And now you have social media, which is basically your life airbrushed because it's a perfectly curated um, reel of how you want people to perceive you. And so I think it really does have some pretty devastating consequences. It's death by comparison. Mm -hmm. We're always looking at everyone else's perfect highlight reel. We're comparing our lives to these perfect images that don't exist in nature. And then we're looking at, you know, the real flaws and the insecurities and the doubts and all the things that exist in our own lives. And so for me, I think working with um, girls and women and, and having dedicated a huge part of my life to the empowerment of girls and women, it's really only ever been to remind them that you do in fact have a choice. And I think whenever I get interviewed about empowerment, it's always that it's the mere recognition that choice exists. And I think when we become aware of kind of what we're up against, then we can say like, wait a second, in spite of all of the persuasion that's happening every day for me to feel less than and to create a sense of self, to your point, that's absolutely driven by external validation, how am I going to show up in my life today and make another choice that isn't contingent on that? And you know, everything that you just said is 1000% correct, because I want to change what young girls hear before they grow older and then have to undo all of the things that they're believing about themselves. Because when I was growing up in the dark ages, we didn't have the constant communication that kids today must deal with. And I'm so grateful because I can't imagine what it must be like for our teens, our young women that are continually bombarded with messaging. You can't escape it. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think people like you are, it's just so important what you're doing because you are literally, especially with, you know, the suicide rate, you are literally saving lives with your messaging. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That is, um, that is a humble reminder 
the importance of the work that, that we do. And especially I have an incredible team who, you know, is able to make all of this happen. But to your point, I mean, in, in you saying you've done, the reality is this isn't just happening to young girls, right? It's, a, right? it's as powerful a messaging that's happening to young men as well, which is just this living a life that um, is, is completely contingent on, as I mentioned before, that external validation of, you know, for guys, it's bigger, faster, stronger. From girls, it's, you know, be beautiful and get attention from boys, which is kind of a lethal combination. And mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, for me, it's just how do we remind people that, and again, not just girls, but people that they matter and that the everyone is imbued with such an important, like, passion and talent. And, you know, how do we get them to recognize that? early on before they get so um, overwhelmed by what they feel like they're lacking. Mm -hmm. So Alexis, you wrote a book called I Am That Girl. Describe that girl. What do you believe it means to be a powerful woman? I think being a powerful woman is um, really is sourced from an authentic sense of confidence. It's just being so comfortable in your own skin. The fact that the statistics are saying that more than 80% of women don't like their bodies. Mm -hmm. So the idea that we don't even like the thing that houses us. Um, so for me, it's not only that idea of can you be comfortable in your own body, but more importantly, can you own all of it, all of the good and all of the miraculous and all of the iniquities and all of the, you know, fears, doubts, insecurities. I think that we tend to compartmentalize the things that we choose to like about ourselves as opposed to saying, I'll take the whole package, all the good, the bad and the ugly. So Alexis, on the flip side, we're talking about girls and women. You created a company called Protect Her that strives to teach young men how to treat women. What are some of the key points that you teach our young men? I think the key points are really you can't give something you don't have. Mm -hmm. um, the first time that I came into a locker room, I was asked to give a talk to the top 18 quarterbacks in the country on the importance of respecting women. And what dawned on me was that I, I couldn't just walk in and say, you need to respect women because of X, Y, and Z, because so many of these young men not only grew up in single parent households, but really didn't have male mentors teaching them what that even looked like. And so for me, it was taking a step back and saying that notion of you, you can't get something you don't have. So what does self-respect look like? What does self-love look like? What is, you know, and, and getting them to think about that um, and getting them to practice that, um, that self-love, self-compassion, self-empathy, um, because, you know, you can only treat others with dignity and respect when you first do it with yourself. So really it was, you know, coming in and, and saying, you know, I'm just interested in making sure that you love you well so that you're in a position to love others the same. So that's the messaging for men. If you could offer a young girl one strategy to command self-respect, what would that be? I mean, again, it has to start with her. My dad used to always say you have to teach people how to treat you. That's your responsibility. And simultaneously, we will accept the love that we think we deserve. Right. And so this idea of we will continue to attract relationships um, that are directly in alignment, consciously or subconsciously, with how we feel about ourselves and how much we love ourselves. And so for me, you know, and I learned this the hard way. I dated several guys in a row and I couldn't understand why, you know, they weren't great guys and they, I would find out that they lied or that they had cheated and about the fourth guy in a row, I was telling my girlfriend, can you believe this happened to me yet again? <laughs> I don't understand. And finally, tough love. And this is, this is the testament of a good friend. She finally looked at me and she said, Lex, I know this is hard to hear, but you're the only common denominator. And I was like, wait, what? And she was like, what are you doing that you continue to attract the exact same type of guy in your life, because I think if you start with you, you might actually get somewhere. But as long as you keep playing like kind of this victim to the circumstances and woe is me and I can't believe. Um, and then I had to do some really hard work and lonely work and, you know, the staring in the mirror kind of stuff and saying like, wow, babe, what's going on? Like, do you know how awesome you are? And the truth was I didn't. And so I did accept the love that I thought I deserved. And 
it took me a lot of work to figure out how to love me hard enough so that I could attract the caliber of man in Bradley that I would end up marrying. And Alexis, I asked those two questions back to back from both perspectives because I wanted to show that it boils down to no matter which side you're on, male or female, whether you're being the one that's treating a person a certain way or being treated a certain way, it boils down to how we feel about ourselves. When we love ourselves, when we have respect for ourselves, we don't treat others poorly and we don't allow others to treat us poorly. And that is such a key message. Amen, sister. You just summed that up (laughs) real right. It was awesome. Yes. So Alexis, what can parents do to help their children see their value and potential to love themselves? I think to me, it's really asking hard questions. Uh, Because we live in an era right now where there is so much consumption of media. Um, it really is, we, we, again, have to understand the gravitas of what we're up against. Um, and especially when you just see the hyper-sexualization and objectification that happens within culture, society, media, all of it. And so what I'm finding in the work that I'm doing, whether I'm working with middle school, high school, college, or Fortune 100 um, female executives, um, the truth is that we're also consuming that. And so starting younger and younger and younger, girls are becoming so numb to the sexualized, objectified culture that they're now doing it to themselves. They actually don't even need anyone to do it to them. And simultaneously for young men, that just becomes the standard expectation. Um, So for me, it's really asking the hard questions. It's getting them. What I always say, if you can get your, you know, elementary, middle school, high school um, daughter, son to really think for themselves. That's the main thing is because there's a generation that is so on autopilot that is consuming all of this content and just regurgitating it almost like, you know, these robots who are just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to act, think, believe all these things because that's how I've seen it done. Um, So kind of getting them outside of a screen Um, again, whether that's their, you know, binging on Netflix or the video games or the music they listen to or the social media, how do we get them to pause and turn it all off and be present long enough to create original thought and to ask them, how do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts on leadership? And, you know, you said, this didn't this hurt your feelings. Why did it hurt your feelings? Why do you want those $250 pair of jeans? You know, I, um, I had a girl recently come up and say like, will you post about me on social media? And, you know, she's a 12 year old and I know it's because she wants more followers, but I don't even think she knows why. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at her and I said, why? And she was like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I want to better understand. You want me to post about you on social media because I have, you know, within I Met Girl, we have over a million followers. So, you know, are you after followers? Are you after visibility? Are you after validation? Like, and we sat there and we had a deep, rich conversation about something she didn't even understand that she was after. So to me as a parent, it's like, how can, and as a parent, setting down your own phone and getting present with your kids and having just real honest conversations, especially about the taboo stuff. The book is I Am That Girl, How to Speak Your Truth, Discover Your Purpose, and Be That Girl. If you'd like to get more information about Alexis and her work, you can visit AlexisJones.com. Alexis, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, I think oftentimes it's easy to say, like, I want to change the world and I want to do all this good. And, and one of my favorite, most simple quotes by Mother Teresa is, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be so brave as to make an addendum and say, go home and love your family and go home and love you hard. That's what we need more of. That changes the world more profoundly than anything else is to have the audacity to go home and love your family and love yourself so radically hard. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us and for discussing ways to help us discover our purpose, live in power, and be that girl or woman. I so appreciate it. We'll be right back. This is Jill Van Nostrand and Aaron Hoffman here with your financial tip. In our busy lives, feeling financially balanced may seem like a pipe dream. Things like changing careers, education, and unexpected life events can be a challenge to manage, but taking these steps to organize and optimize our finances can make a big difference in how we feel and behave around our money. Write down and commit to your financial goals. Keep a notebook or make a vision board to bring those goals to life. Know your real life budget and stick to it. This includes not just daily living expenses, but also saving for an emergency 
emergency fund, retirement planning, college planning, and life events. Develop wealth building strategies for now and the future. Paying yourself first is critical to financial balance, and we recommend saving between 15 to 20% of gross income. If that seems daunting, begin saving 1% and increase that over time. Review your protection strategy, including life, health, disability, long-term care, and umbrella policies for you, your family, and your business. Consider whether the current coverage is optimal or if there are gaps that need to be addressed. It is important to remember the old adage that Rome wasn't built in a day, and improving our finances is a process that takes time. Stay positive and reward yourself for your wins no matter how small they seem. Jill Van Ostrand is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC. Jill Van Ostrand and Aaron Hoffman, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Certified Financial Services, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. OSJ, 52 Forest Ave, Paramus, New Jersey, 07652. 201-843-7700. 2020-93-104. Expiration, January 2022. If you're a person who is chronically disorganized, did you ever think your thyroid may be playing a role? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm that specializes in serving clients who are chronically disorganized, we help people organize their lives as well as their homes. If you have an overactive thyroid called hyperthyroidism, you may feel like you're on a hamster wheel. You could feel unusually nervous, restless, anxious, or irritable. You could be flitting from one thing to the next, never settling in one place, jumping from one activity to another, feeling distracted, never making a concrete decisions. Delayed or absent decisions can lead to clutter. Conversely, if you have an underactive thyroid called hypothyroidism, you could be fatigued or feel depressed. If you have little or no energy or you just don't care about anything, garbage, laundry, dishes, and household items that aren't assigned and returned to a home can pile up. In either case, you may feel out of control or not understand how things got to where they are now. Ask your medical professional to consider testing your thyroid levels. If you're challenged by disorganization and are ready to accept outside help, call me. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google. Search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan.
Safer to your health. Joining me today is Mark Anthony, the founder of Prospect Fitness located in Brooklyn, New York. Mark is also the vice president of operations for Diet Typing Systems, an online personalized diet therapy system. He's here today to discuss mitochondrial efficiency. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me on today. So, Mark, mitochondrial efficiency, this sounds so important. What exactly is it and how does it impact our life? Mitochondrial efficiency has to do with how effectively your body produces energy. It also deals with how well you care for your mitochondria, which ultimately leads to a healthy body. Mitochondria are little bacteria-like organelles, structures located in our cells. There are many functions of of the mitochondria. However, the primary purpose of mitochondria is to produce energy for our bodies from the food that we eat and the air we breathe. Mitochondria can also regulate the atmosphere of the cell, respond to hormones, and are responsible for cell death. Roughly 70 billion cells die in an adult body every day. So then how does our diet affect mitochondrial efficiency? Our diets probably have the greatest effect on mitochondrial efficiency. Without proper nutrients like B vitamins, coenzyme Q10, alpha-lipoic acid, and antioxidants, the mitochondria do not function well. A poor diet can also lead to the destruction of the mitochondria's DNA, which research is learning can lead to diseases like cancer, Parkinson's, and autism. Can we help our bodies create more mitochondria? Absolutely. Exercise is probably one of the best ways to build mitochondrial density. Our cells have a range of a few dozen mitochondria to several thousand per cell, with most cells having one to 2,000 mitochondria. Mitochondria can possibly make up to 40% of our biomass. The more the body senses the need for greater energy through exercise, the more the cells will pack them with mitochondria. Since mitochondria are part of the body that burns fat, the more you have, the greater your chances for weight loss success. Also, you will want to do both strength training and cardio exercise to build mitochondrial density. Where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? As always, you can visit our website, prospectfitness.com. Mark, thank you so much for being here. This is such an interesting topic. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember, the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.